Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, DGENs and DGENettes to another episode of the Alfalfa Podcast. We are four radically moderate entrepreneurs and investors swimming in the messy gray ocean, serving up alpha in money, politics, and life. We are Nick Urbani, Eric Johansson, Stephen Cesaro, and I am Arman Asadi. All links at alfalfapod.com. Make sure to hit subscribe wherever you are listening or watching on YouTube and follow us on the socials. And most importantly, hop in our Discord to join the community for the after party and more alfalfa. Wait, are we recording? Yes, we've been recording. <laughs> it's, always, it's always the case. You got to play right into that. That was for I, you. I hope you're hey. recording on your side. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, I'm recording on my side. All right, all right, good. Well, what are you guys drinking? Still on the caffeine, or have you switched to the alcohol? No, I'm drinking LaCroix. It's too early in the day. I'm sorry. Yeah, so got my I wonder if um, the listeners can tell the level of sobriety over these last couple of weeks. I wonder if anyone's upset about this. <laughs> <laughs> they want a refund. Anybody want a refund? <laughs> I mean, I am intentionally, you know, sober for the month, but these guys are recording earlier in the day for me, and they're proving to us that they're not actually alcoholics, which is actually pleasant to see, because otherwise that might be a problem to to start drinking at 11 a.m. Although, no judgment. I mean, I've done it before. You know, it happens. A little bloody, <laughs> little bloody Maria uh, on, a, on a Tuesday. Never a problem. But I am drinking a non-alcoholic Heineken since it is uh, 11.05 p.m. here. Does that classify? You're, you're not breaking your, your alcohol fast, right? I mean, you're, you're getting the dopamine of a taste of a beer. So what are we... Zero percent, pal. Zero percent uh, alcohol right. going in this body. That's it. <laughs> Couldn't be more sober. All, all right. right. Still a finely tuned machine. Yes. Well, we are uh, back for another episode and we are going to dive into some fascinating topics. Number one, we're going to be talking about uh, people destroying paintings in the name of climate change. Um, and, uh, we'll break that down. Uh, probably sounds weird to you right now, but you'll learn more. And then secondly, we're going to be talking about, uh, fact checking. We're going to be talking about, uh, a Zelensky video that went around the Ukrainian president and, uh, kind of the whole idea behind this, uh, this, uh, pros and cons of fact checking when we need it, when we don't. I also wanted to kick off really quick. A couple weeks ago, uh, we'd asked for reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and I was mentioning that you can actually go in and write a review on Apple Podcasts. We've got a really great one that I would like to read out to you. Title, Radically Moderate Listeners Wanted. This is by Hook'em, who's in our Discord community as well. Hilarious and honest takes on topics covering crypto, life, politics, money, and tech. If you're looking for politically correct, canned opinions, this show will not appeal to you. However, if you enjoy having your own ideas challenged or just have a curious mind and want to hear things from a new perspective, you'll love this show. I think that encapsulates it very beautifully. Thank you, Hookum. You're the man. And um, I really do feel that, that that is a nice little snippet um, in terms of, you know, that, that, describes the, that describes the show. So if you haven't already, would love to see your reviews. They definitely help people read them to discover the shows and stuff. And, uh, and we'll read it on the pod as well. So do that at Apple Podcast. All right. Well, I hope to kind of personally fulfill the commitment to not give uh, 
politically canned responses uh, during this episode. We have a, a fun little topic. So there were a few protesters uh, arrested in the UK um, for multiple incidents, actually. I think um, one involved defacing an Aston Martin dealership. Uh, the mm-hmm. one we're going to uh, kick off with was um, two protesters uh, trying to vandalize a Van Gogh uh, painting. I believe it was a sunflower painting uh, in London. And they poured tomato soup all over it. And they are from an organization called Just Stop Oil. So they were trying to um, get out some climate change uh, awareness um, and some kind of uh, promotion of of a climate change angle. So uh, one of the protesters, a 21-year-old Phoebe Plummer, uh, was quoted as saying, the cost of living crisis is driven by fossil fuels. Everyday life has become unaffordable for millions of cold, hungry families. They can't even afford to heat a tin of soup. We cannot afford new oil and gas. Her co-pilot in this endeavor, uh, 20-year-old Anna Holland, said, this is the future we choose for ourselves if we push for new oil and gas. Uh, both seemingly kind of arguing that increasing the supply of oil and gas or and the exploration of which um, would bring on more expensive energy, maybe, and that there are viable alternatives that are cheaper and better for the environment ready right now. And so I quickly find myself in a little conundrum about this argument. But uh, yeah, I'll kick it to, to either one of you guys to see, you know, are, are do, do they have a point to be made that we that people should hear? Or are we kind of in a, a derangement mode about what's what's reality? What, what's what was possible? the first girl's name? Phoebe Plummer? Phoebe Plummer. Sounds yes. like a fucking 80s porn star. Um, so, <laughs> and her accomplice, what was it? Anna Holland. Um, <laughs> correct. Why'd they glue themselves to Vincent fucking Van, Do- Van Gogh painting? What in the flying fuck does that have to do with anything? Well, to be fair, they glue themselves to the wall. God, so damn. Makes so much more sense. <laughs> Seriously. What was the, well, we're, we're talking about it. We're talking about it. So yeah, we're talking they had w- part one of their goal. I don't know. Well, we're going to talk about part two of their that's what, what that, okay. I, I I love that framing. I was going to bring it up as well. Is it, it obviously creates the the attention? Um, it turns the focus to the issue, but no, it doesn't make people think about the climate. It doesn't make people look at the the argument that's happening behind the scenes. It makes them have a discussion about how insane it is to pour soup on a Vincent Van Gogh painting and then glue yourself to a wall, and then to look at like, okay, what's really the point you're trying to make here? But no one's willing to have a conversation about that because you lose people right up front when you do something so extreme like that. I guess the the funny thing is, did you guys see the response videos and things like that? There was this one guy, and no. and the point the point that he tried to prove was like he got, he got emotional. He's like, you don't understand. You guys care so much about the art. You care more about a Vincent Van Gogh painting than you do about the environment. That's the point these girls are trying to make is that you care more about the art. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. I I actually do. (laughs) That's one of the greatest pieces of art of all time and your stupidity and immaturity, not that they actually hurt the thing, but your stupidity and immaturity and the risk that you would take to prove some point, you deserve to be in jail for a long, long time for that. Like, I don't want, I don't want to have a conversation with somebody like that. I'm like old grandpa Armand coming out right now. I'm like, that is not the type of conversation I want to have. You want to have a conversation, come to this podcast and state your opinion and, and, and break out the argument for why we need to be looking at something differently. Those kind of political stunts to me are just so stupid. 
nonsense distracting yeah. in general i don't know we, we've seen we've seen a string of these too i mean i think someone threw some kind of like a piece of food at the mona lisa um you know again in this same kind of um vein and, and message they're trying to spread we've seen uh protesters just sit in the middle of roads um for a similar just stop oil kind of campaign um i would love to see old grandpa armand trying to get somewhere where he's going and there's just this <laughs> green activist sitting in the middle of the road. And, and there've been some funny videos of people physically lifting them up, moving to the sidewalk, dropping them there and getting their car and driving on. And, and they're, they're quite hilarious. I say this as someone who cares deeply for the planet, for someone who feels so connected and grateful to everything that we have here and who wants solutions. But I'm also somebody that wants to have discourse that is productive I feel that these stunts in general, in particular, when they are not related to the issue at hand, are distracting. I can understand if there was a direct correlation to Vincent Van Gogh, why that could be a very interesting way to seek attention to then start the conversation in the first place. But when you do something purely for the sake of causing a ruckus, and going viral, to me, I question the person's motives at all in the first place. Did this person do this for views or did they do this for this organization they're part of? Or did they, you know, what what really is going on here? Steven, break this down for me. I mean, God, there's a lot of angles to take here. I think, I, I mean, I, I'm a little more charitable to them, I think, on the uh, the protest than, than you are. I, I think there was, they obviously knew it was covered in glass. They weren't going to harm it. Um, for the purposes of getting PR, it was very smart, I think. Um, the, the, the problem I have, if you believe this is like a serious organization, is um, it, good protests are supposed to not only draw attention, right? But they're supposed to draw some sort of sympathy for your cause, right? And I, I don't know what happened to the protest movement in the last like decade or so, but like it seems like every protester now their their secondary goal is this like environmental cause or whatever but it seems like their proximate goal is to just make you hate them and their cause like as much as possible it, like everybody sees this and nobody says to themselves oh man yeah they make a really good point i need to like care for the environment more everybody just sees this and they go I, I hate you and everything you stand for. I'm going to go outside and just run my lawnmower for nine hours for no reason because I, I hate you so much. Um, it, 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 it's 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 so infuriating. Um, I, I think I'm more infuriated by like how just stupid and ineffective like the strategy is than to, yeah. You, you can make a thousand comments about them. And, oh, I went to this yuppie private school and blah blah blah. Uh, th that to me is not is, is relevant. It's just it's just such a stupid way to protest I, i'm i'm of the mindset at this point that this whole just stop oil organization is a gigantic like troll false flag operation put into place by the oil companies themselves to just like make people hate climate activists as much as possible it's the only <laughs> logical thing that makes sense to me that's at this point way too because, smart that's way too smart have you gone to their website? Like the stuff they advocate for is absolutely insane. Like protest aside, they're they're trying to stop oil and energy production at a time when the world is literally on fire. There's people rioting in the streets because they can't heat, heat homes and they can't 
keep their businesses open. And then they're active. That's what it says right on the website. We want to end all future production of fossil fuels and shift to renewables. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's the most like tone deaf thing I've, I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the protesters certainly have one part, right? That there are families, you know, in some parts of Europe that are going cold and hungry. I think in cities outside of Warsaw, people are starting to burn trash and wood and everything else to, to stay warm. And European coal imports are up like 30, 36% year over year. Germany is it's hilarious. Germany is importing coal from South Africa after during one of those like COP26 meetings, uh, agreeing to do- like essentially give $800 million in development aid to have them shift away from using coal just, just, just a year ago. Um, and even in some of these like African nations and these UN climate change talks, um, they're saying, you know, African nations shouldn't be using fossil fuels and, and they should transition to renewables just like like Europe. And, and we arrive at this very irrational path forward that these um, activists seem seem to have. And I think uh, Michael Schellenberger has called this climate fanaticism. Um, and I think I'll, I'll link to a few of his articles and maybe one of his uh, tweets in the in the show notes. But he kind of likens this to a religious fervor because it, it has a deeply, and unfortunately he says it's like a deeply irrational religion where they kind of imagine that humans have fell from grace, you know, through the industrial revolution. And I'm summarizing some of his arguments here and they're headed for apocalypse unless we kind of change paths. We have less humans. We significantly reduce the, the energy uh, consumed through renewables. And you, you kind of see this in, in similar religious conquests, but the issue is that underlying those similar religious conquests, there's always some kind of desperation for like personal, cultural, or political power. Um, and, and the sad thing is that I think some of their efforts ha- have worked. I mean, we've now seen some of these climate fanatics are now energy ministers who are shutting down, you know, nuclear power plants and, and opposing uh, exploration for, for natural gas, which, which, by the way, I think we had last year, we had decreasing carbon emissions because of some switches from coal to natural gas. But we've obviously had to, and I say we, but primarily Europe, have had to revert back to coal because of the shortages of of natural gas. And and this is where I get to the point where not only is the argument irrational, but is it is it actually immoral? Like, are we willing to guarantee that hundreds of millions of unnecessary deaths from cold and food shortages and pollutions happen right now uh, with irrational energy policies like limiting natural gas and limiting nuclear for the probability of sometime in the future of hundreds of millions of unnecessary deaths due to cold food shortages and pollution. So we're almost guaranteeing the the impact that they're trying to avoid by following their path um, in the hopes of avoiding some probabilistic uh, demise in, in the future. And I get, you know, I think I have this underlying feeling when I hear climate change or people talk about climate change or some part of me that says, you know, climate change might result in human extinction. And it's kind of easy to feel that if you just gobble headlines, you know, left and right over the past three or four years, you, you might think that we are headed towards some kind of human exta- extinction or, or billions of people are going to be displaced. Um, but I've looked into one particular um, argument 
that these climate fanatics have have made and and Schellenberger and I'll post a, an article that he he wrote up I, I think it's in Forbes um, but he kind of dispels one of the main arguments um, like for example you, you would you would be led to believe from mainstream media that uh, natural disasters are increasing they're killing more people and they're costing us more money but I think if you look at some of the data climate related disasters are actually have declined by 10 percent over the last 20 years that the, the number of them the frequency has declined over the last 20 years and I was kind of shocked to to, to read that data and I had to investigate it more um, and then not only that but the the global economic loss from these weather-related events is surely up in absolute terms, but when you put it as a percentage of GDP, it's also declining as well. And then when you look at just sheer deaths and the abilities for humans to be resilient to national disasters, um, in, in this article that we'll, we'll link to, he talks about how a cyclone in Bangladesh in 1970 killed 300,000 people. And then just 20 years later, a cyclone killed um, around 100,000 people in 1991. And there was a cyclone in the last uh, year or two that killed 120. And that's weird and the reasons why. And it's very simple warning systems and storm shelters. And obviously, there may be differences in, in the storm strength and things like that. But humans are becoming more resilient. And people may say, well, we'll zoom out, look from the year 1900 to, to now, and you'll see that there are rising climate disasters. And how do you explain that when you zoom out and look you know, further than the past 20 years? Well, the, our ability to track those and record the data has improved over that time period. So naturally, you have more data plots being plotted in, in these graphs and in, and, in, and in data. So I think the question remains like, you know, not only is this not rational, but is it is it immoral to kind of deny some humans the access to cheap energy via natural gas or or nuclear that that would also by by the way decrease carbon emissions and and cause cold and hunger and poverty and death for for maybe the shaky probability of of kind of the same level of devastation happening in the future. So I don't know. That's where I I see this conundrum and where. I, I land when I kind of follow these protesters and and look for what they're arguing for, and I don't know, you know, it seemed very easily just with a short amount of research to to realize that this the bill of this kind of false uh, direction is is coming due now and it's coming due in, in Europe, and I, I don't know if um, that is what made it easier to arrive at this conclusion now, and, and maybe I'm I'm missing something. But I don't know. That's where I landed. You're 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 assuming that I think you're assuming that these people sort of care about the thriving of the human population, but just do it on a longer time horizon and that we're short sighted and that they're optimizing for the thriving of humanity, but just on a a longer time horizon. I don't Mm -hmm. think that's true. I don't think they really care about humanity. I think they're they care about like earth when they view humans as sort of like these parasites. And I think like they, True. they do kind of think it would be better off if more people died and there were fewer humans and we're True. assuming less of the planet. So I think making arguments from the point of, well, if you, um, if you want to tamp down, 
fossil fuels and you're going to cause all these humans to die and suffer and actually more people die of cold than die of heat by like a magnitude like all that stuff is true but you're arguing a point they don't care about i think the more effective point you know for for groups like this who are just they they sort of worship the earth almost in this like kind of paganistic type way and like like you said there's so many parallels between the way these types of groups talk about things and things that you see in the Bible, right? They talk about like the plagues of locusts in the Bible and we're being sort of beset with this plague of like hurricanes or weather or whatever you call it. It's like we've affronted like Mother Gaia and she's punishing us, right? It's like all the same. Humans just do the same stuff over and over and over again. Um, I think the better case to make to these people, and like you said, we're already seeing it this year, is that the end result of these policies isn't in earth thriving. It's in like, it's in, it's going, it's going to harm earth because humans need energy, whether you like it or not. And if you take away that energy, like they're, they're going to get it by any means possible, right? If you kill, you know, some of this fossil fuel production or we don't have enough of it, um, you're going to have stuff like the UK was, was just absolutely tearing down just mass amounts of forest land and burning it right coal usage is up like we're just going to substitute other stuff we're not going to move to this utopia overnight where it's just like oh yeah we have all the energy we can produce from solar and wind right now it's just we just have to kill all the oil production and then put that in and then we'll be fine it's obviously not true so you're going to create this world where not only are humans like suffering and dying but also the earth will be suffering and dying more in the in the short run as well unless you're playing like the really long game here where you're like yeah but it'll kill all the people off in four decades it's it just makes no sense and it it it's that's why i just think it has to be a it has to be just a con it's a it's just an elaborate ruse by the oil companies themselves because it's it's so stupid and it's so easily disprovable it's like almost like why, why what are we even arguing are, about? are have you found that they're explicit in their goal of saving earth over like prioritizing earth over humanity or you think you're just kind of like inferring that from their behaviors and what they say because that's that's fascinating it, if true oh, because we're actually electing some of these people he's very right because i think steven is simply talking about at least my observation steven is you're talking just generally a psychological observation uh, around these people correct yeah, these people are generally like anti-humanists. I, I they have care about the earth more than humans. They care about animals I have something more, more than for you humans. There. Like, why they? Why do they? Why are they anti-human? And why do, is it true that they really care? I'll even go a layer deeper for you guys. I'm curious your opinion on this. I don't think they care about the earth either. I think they care about themselves. I think that's pathological behavior. This is I'm, an obsession with ideology. And they're completely brainwashed. I don't think that these people are actually doing what's best for the planet. Because if you were doing what's best for the planet, you'd have a rational discussion like the one we're having right now. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, I think you make a good point there. It's that's it's absolutely pathological. And, uh, you know, I think when it comes to especially these outspoken figures, typically political figures like, you know, I'll, I'll maybe pick on Greta Thunberg a little bit um, just because she started when she was so young. I think it was like when she was 14 years old, she's 19 now. She's been one of the most outspoken, you know, pro-earth, pro-climate um, activists. And she certainly um, somehow looped in a lot of political leaders on, on board. And I do think that 
there is this identity that get gets built up, not just with her, but maybe other political figures who who are outspoken, and that let's say, um, you know, advocating for natural gas uses at least in the in the medium term until we have something that's more sustainable and efficient and available right now to everyone um, as a substitute. It it clashes with their identity, and and so they kind of would have to relinquish some kind of cultural or political power if they go against it, even though it's rational, even though it's logical, it's economical, it even would help the earth in in the short term. Um, yeah, I think that's where they get caught up. Um, Comes at a major it's, cost it's to their identity, but it's narcissistic behavior, and the only way to back it up is to continue the dysfunction. So 100%. Yeah, you know what else this reminds I, I, me of? I, I think they do care about Earth. I no, think I think they really not, believe I'm, what they're saying. I'm not saying that there isn't a narcissistic component to it. There obviously is like this kind of like signaling to your group type thing, and a and and I think there also is some sort of. I, I think it's an interesting question of why like the vast majority of these people are sort of like blue haired leftist types, and like zero of them are like right wing, you know, Christians. Like there's, there's just like a very, it's all tilted to one particular type of people. I think that's an interesting discussion. Why I do think a lot of these people are in search of like meaning in life and like they, they, they don't have particular purpose within and they don't know what they're there for. So they, they, they just fall into this as like some sort of way to derive meaning for themselves. I would argue that maybe their intentions probably are good. But like you don't you don't get bonus points for for good intentions if you if you pursue you know an an advocacy of policies that that cause immense human suffering like Greta I don't know it, it, maybe her intentions are are good but the the end result of everything she did is it, it's it, a mass amount of human suffering has been caused and will continue to be caused by the things that she advocated for in the name of quote unquote good um it's it, it's kind of wild how you can have these unforeseen consequences um trying to pursue something that you think is right that you you believe in so much but actually you sort of set forth this this chaotic chain of events that that ends up in in in, in a terrible outcome mm-hmm. i i i want to i think that they do care about the earth but I think that Earth could be a synonym for dogs and cats or anything. It's about the basic ideology that it represents. And what that represents to me is a focus on the self more than the other. And so that's really the point I'm ultimately making there. This reminds me of something else, actually. There's another area in society right now where the majority of society is being very irrational and that is around Ukraine um, and this, you know, deal or peace plan that was talked about a few weeks ago, right? The sort of basic response by the majority of people has been, no, the only solution is Putin goes home. But the trade-off at not having a rational discussion and going into the details of what it could look like is that we've just raised the stakes of nuclear holocaust to a new level. But there doesn't seem to be any admission of that fact. And even more so, perhaps there was, or I would say alternately, there is perhaps even an admission, 
but not worth the cost of bending the knee to Vladimir Putin. Whoa, what? We just got to come up with some terms to prevent nukes? You're not down to do that? No, because we won't negotiate with him. The only option should be he should go home. That's like such a basic, ludicrous way to approach this situation that's only going to get worse. And I see the same thing. I see some parallels um, in what's going on here. It's a very irrational, one-dimensional approach to the problem. So what's the, I mean, how do you kind of break this pattern and break this cycle? I mean, is, is it the fact that now those problems are coming to millions of people in the most basic parts of their life from, you know, having food and staying warm or staying cool? Like, is is that kind of what breaks this cycle? Because, you know, what I guess we're talking about is almost like a a religious and psycholo- or religious-like fervor and a psychological issue that you know doesn't allow us to progress or, or move forward in a in a rational way, and it's kind of uh, uh, frightening. And I'd I'd like to say voting would would help, but I, I don't really see the precursor to that, which is a rational discussion around things. I don't know. It's a deep question, I mean, this, man. This is this is a problem in general with like apocalyptic thinking, right? Because Ultimately, you just get into this ends justify the means mentality. Like if you truly believe that you are preventing Hitler from exterminating millions of people, then anything you do is sort of justified because you've turned that that person into Hitler or you've turned this problem into the equivalent of it. Right. Anything that you do is justified to achieve those ends. But that's a complete breakdown of society because then there is no there is no rational thought, there is no argument, there is no civil discourse. Like you you wouldn't have civil discourse over these like apocalyptic events. Like what why would you? But then once everybody adopts that way of thinking, then society just sort of like breaks down. Like we we lose like the very fundamental things we we tried to build like this country especially upon in in, in the first place. Um losing rational discourse is I don't know, that's sort of game over. That's just the precursor for war. Like once you're not discoursing, you've just split into two sides and then you're just sort of demonizing one another to the point where eventually there's there's a flashpoint, um, I guess. And I, I don't I don't know how you really come back from that ledge other than by like kind of moderate pilling enough people to where they just reject like extremism on both sides and you kind of come back to some uh, some better equilibrium. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly an economic flashpoint happening now. Um, where maybe some people are kind of shifting their thoughts and re-questioning their assumptions and asking that that is that trade-off worth it? Um, so I don't know. Hopefully there there's there's more discussion and more I guess momentum around that and this I don't know. Just like I feel I feel a little lost uh, when it comes to energy policy in in particular and how to make progress on it. But I guess you know championing people who make good arguments that are based in, in rational thought and and also who don't have tendencies to kind of attack the other side, you know, like who who just kind of stick to their guns when it comes to, you know, facts and, and economic projections rather than uh, the ad hominem attacks as well. Yes, indeed. It's, um, yeah, that, that was a very deep question, Nick, because uh, it's a solutions-oriented question. And I think it's funny because ultimately it comes down to um, people 
leveling up and evolving from an educational perspective and then being able to voice that opinion back to the leadership and the representation and government. So both of those systems are currently undergoing revolutionary changes. And so I do, this is why I'm an optimist because I also think, especially a techno optimist, because when I watch these revolutions taking place, these exponential leaps in technology that are also aiding us in becoming more intelligent, access to more information, wiser, um, we're able to access such a variety of different sources, but also the ability to communicate right virtually. We don't have to write letters to Congress anymore. We can tweet at them. Both of those, though, are still in their infancy, in my opinion. It needs to get better. Before people are crying on the streets and dying and becoming homeless, we need to solve those problems further upstream. That's what's going on here. And the first thing is you made you made a comment that I'll circle back to is like, if you turn on the news once a week and that's all you do and that's all you know, your reality is going to say, yeah, the world is in worse shape than it's ever been and climate's getting worse than it ever has and there's more natural disasters than ever before. And that's that becomes your whole, you know, reality. But if you get access to more information and you consume long-form content and there's a variety of different sources that you get access to and then you have the communication direct line with the people that matter and you're able to voice your opinion and they get bombarded by millions of people so then they're forced to follow suit with what the popular culture is telling them or at least uh, the, what's happening you know, in that, in that current time in the zeitgeist, then they'll pay attention and policies will change before shit hits the fan. That's my hope. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. There's lots of sources. And actually, we were in our text thread before we started recording. We we're just talking about, you know, going in and paying for more energy data to kind of like bolster some of our own knowledge. And, and you know, but I, I don't know if, uh, you know, politicians and, and mainstream vocal, you know, the people are most outspoken or, or open to it. Um, yeah. All right. Anything else to touch on in this, no. Stephen? Did you have anything else you wanted no, th- to touch I on? I think that's a good lead into what we want to chat about next because okay. we are we're sort of trying to become more active consumers of inf- information, right? Like look, seek out sources and like actively consume them. I think most people in the world though are sort of they're they're like passive consumers informa- of, of information. They unknowingly like a, a lot of times just self segregate into these these sort of social media bubbles, these real life bubbles. And then they're sort of just at the mercy of this information that's like passively fed to them in a way that allows them to be monetized and is not really maybe the best way for them to learn about the world. And I think we have dealt with that in ways that are suboptimal. The social media companies are pretty uh, famous or uh, infamous at this point for the, the, uh, the whole fact checker uh, thing I know, Armand, you were, you were you were telling me something the other day about how you were scrolling through Twitter and you you see the thing on the sidebar where it's like fact checkers say, and then your brain immediately goes, "Oh God, not no!" Like cause I I know personally when I see that fact checkers say or experts warn or like whenever I see that tagline now, my all of my defenses go up, all my shields go up, and I just feel like I'm being propagandized. To a degree, um, so I'm, I'm curious for you, uh, for you to uh, ex- expound upon that. Tell me what you were thinking. Yeah, it's a little scary, and um, but what I decided to do is try to look at it as objectively as I could, and then explore this idea of like what are the pros and cons here. And I think that's an interesting discussion for us on this topic to really look at like what could there could there be some some strong arguments for this. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you, you guys know on Twitter, and I don't use Twitter much, but you know, like, there's the regular tweet, right? And then there's the mm-hmm. ones that are like from Twitter, and they're and they and they have a different design to them. It's like a news story, and it's like embedded into the page a little bit more cleanly, like where they've created their own banner for it at the top. And then there's tweets to support the statement at the top. Do you guys have any idea what I'm talking about without visually showing yes. you? Okay. Yes. Okay. So it was one of those. First of all, what the fuck are those? <laughs> like. Twitter is supposed <laughs> to share like dev, you know just like tweets from all people but they're 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 sourcing and curating for you and positioning the story they're telling you what to think about the story so the the thing was Zelensky address that he recently gave fact checkers prove was not outside of Ukraine. He's still in Ukraine. And then they had supporting tweets from the Associated Press and other outlets supporting that, saying this is the case. They had it first in the sidebar so that you would click and go to it. They had a dedicated, it's a fucking dedicated landing page for that idea. That shit's scary, guys. <laughs> that shit's well, so, really so odd. To I'm, me. I'm curious, what was your initial reaction? Because I'm, I, and we'll share the link in the show notes so you guys can see what what Armand saw when he first came across this. But th- at some point, did you did you have a little bit of you that was like, oh, nice, like they're fact checking it. I get to see, yes, well, you know, like yes and from, no from various sources. Yes and no, because as Steven said, it's just like. All my alarms are going off with this stuff. It's just so difficult because it's like, no, I didn't just immediately go like, okay, cool. Yeah, thanks, Associated Press. Thanks, Twitter, like for letting me know because no, fuck that. I can, I, I, I should have, I should be able to figure that out for myself. I don't need, we don't need fact. That's my belief that we don't need fact checkers. Because the fact checkers are just a small centralized control group of us. I mean, what is a fucking fact checker? Like, what is it? It's <laughs> a, fact, just- a fact checker is uh, traditionally a uh, extremely left wing biased publication that just sort of regurgitates the things the other left wing publications say. Like, you never go to the fact checkers. It, like, like Breitbart's not on there. Not that it should be, but like, there's, there's no. like a Daily yeah. Wire is never in the fact. No, there. It, it, it's like. It's like uh, th- this. This right wing talking point is wrong uh, because we fact checked it with our well, because seventeen leftist newspaper. We friends. control it, it, the media. They control the media, and that's what's scary about it. Is that it's terrifying to me. It's. I, get, it we, this... I feel like what you're saying though is there's this sort of vague sense that we're almost in this Truman Show type environment when we're on all the social media platforms and everything, like they're trying to paint this particular image of the world that they want us to like absorb with these particular narratives. And I'm not even saying that the Ukraine narrative is wrong, but I know a lot of people and I I myself, I I am wary of the Ukraine stuff just because of the way in which it feels like it's being sort of systematically force fed to me and where I, I can feel myself being yeah. nudged 
yeah a where's million the tiny nudge, points for over and over again and i'm just like well, well okay even if this is what we should be doing what who is doing this? Who is really doing the nudging behind the corner? Is this is this all coordinated? And if so, why is there just like illusion that there are all these media companies? There's all these social, but it's actually just just like seven guys behind the curtain somewhere trying to push this worldview in a particular way. And like we saw it obviously with with COVID, that was a big one. I think a lot of people woke up to it during that. I mean, I was I was kind of in tune to this. Well before it as well but it, it you you just keep seeing it over and over again now and i i, I can't i can't unsee it well, anymore i i i certainly don't think it's like uh seven people behind a curtain you know master planning i don't think that's that's even possible but i do think groupthink is is maybe more of the culprit than some kind of uh master plan but you know, you described it as a as a nudge, a nudge in a different direction. And, and I, I forget the name of the documentary on Netflix, but it talked about how, you know, uh, users of social media can get caught in these doom loops, you know, where YouTube just and Twitter just keeps recommending more content similar to the one and you can go down a path and, and end up in like QAnon world, for example. But do, are these nudges good on the whole? Because maybe they, they do kind of at least give people a pattern breaker to stop and at least ask the question, is this is this something I should question in the first place? Because maybe that is a, you know, I would I would, mean, I would like I, to, I, I just want to push back on the the, the there are not, not to be like too tinfoil hat, but the idea that there can't be like seven people behind the curtain. Much like in the same way when you go to the store and you buy toothpaste or something and there's like 37 different brands, but actually all of them are owned by Procter & Gamble. Right. It's kind of the same thing with, with media. There's like a billion different things and they all filter into the same freaking three holding companies and then a, a few people control those. So it, it's, it's not that crazy of a thing to say. I mean, there is like this hyper-centralization behind this facade of like diversity out there that there are all these brands and all these diverse viewpoints and it's it's like there's this one specific narrative that's getting shoved down everybody's throat and they're trying to trick us into thinking that there's like some consensus by it because we're hearing it from all these different influencers all of these different publications all these different news outlets under these different brands but it actually just kind of funnels back to one place and i'm just trying to figure out what that is like if it is like a, actually like a, a like a system systematic thing or if like, as nick said maybe it's just sort of the inadvertent result of just free market forces in a particular way and there's no coordination i'm i'm, I'm not sure about it but there is there's something weird there yeah and and think about uh you know i want to also this nudge it's not just a nudge it's a full-blown fucking shove guys like let's be real <laughs> It's like, this is reality. This is the fact. We're fact-checking it, and we're telling you what is correct and what to think. It's indisputable. It's, it's, not, it's, not, a, it's, not, a, it's not a nudge. It's a full-blown, this is what you need to think. And beyond that, what's the motive? Oh, they're just looking out for us, for our best interests? That's what all this effort, this coordinated effort is all about, is just to simply make sure that we dumb humans don't accidentally think the wrong thing and don't go down the wrong rabbit. Oh, thank you so much for looking out for me. No, it's not that. I mean, yes, it is that in the sense that we don't want you to go in that direction. 
We don't want you to think in that direction. We want you to think in this direction, right? But it's so much deeper than that in the sense that it's not for our best interests. It's in the sense that we want to control the goddamn narrative. We want to control what we what you say, what you say in order to control what you think. And if we control what you think, then we get your money. That's it. <laughs> we get your money and then you just fucking shut up. Like live your life. I don't think it's like this really crazy, you know, people in dark robes like Illuminati level shit. I just think it's some power hungry wealthy corruption to a degree that you can't even imagine. So corrupt. It's very corrupt. And the United States is way more corrupt than people realize, by the way. Way more than people realize. It's just the United States does it behind people's backs, whereas a lot of other countries do it right to your face. What'd you say? And they censor you right to your face. But guess what? The United States is becoming much more aggressive and right in your face about it now as well. The things that they used to do behind the scenes, the corruption... It's becoming much more front and center now. So, well, yeah, man. To, to your point about it being a shove instead of a nudge, you know, I did notice on the page that you shared, there is a what you need to know section. And typically Twitter is just a feed of other people putting in content. But this content, right. these three bullet points had to have been written uh, by someone from Twitter. They're, they're not from it's not some a tweet. other yes. companies yeah, they're or editorial companies' tweets. So yes. that is something new I haven't seen, which is That's someone there mean. wrote this copy. There's more and more of that. And um, okay, now since we really kind of tinfoiled that, okay, <laughs> what, what could be the uh, benefits here? And I started to explore that and I, and I, and I thought to myself like, man, um, if this is true that Zelensky is still in Ukraine, that the fact checkers are correct in this situation, but that a huge majority of people in the world start to believe the opposite, the world can go into a very chaotic state. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, the reason you could argue, if I wanted to find the best case reason for why fact checkers are needed sometimes, it's to ensure that reality doesn't get distorted by these crazy lies that causes the breakdown of society and a revolution to take place that shouldn't and needed wasn't necessary. That a revolt of the people, that a civil war even in America is prevented especially one in which would be due to an incorrect reasoning. So at the very least, I think what we want to see is like people fighting for truths that are factual. And as time goes on, what is a fact is going to become more and more and more disputed and difficult to determine. So I don't know what to do about that problem, especially like we've talked about in the episodes around I mean, deep fakes and the the things people can do to just a, not only editorial, but a video uh, to, to shape and mold what you think on all sides, the right included, right? And there's so much of that on the right that is just like pure garbage, right? But what to do about it? What to do? Is there a case for, okay, if there's a case for the left being able to be in control of the media and shape what people think, then what's the case on the right for that, you know? And is that even a worthwhile journey? Should we just allow all 
to sit back and determine for themselves. I think that's the best best path still, but I begin to worry more and more because people are very susceptible and vulnerable to misinformation. And I don't mean that the way that we typically hear it, right? I don't know. Mm. Well said, sir. It worries me. I mean, <laughs> I feel like we could do hours on this, you know? It, it It's an interesting question of how to even build the system. I don't think like a free for all is super ideal either. It gets pretty nasty online, especially when there's anonymity and there's basically zero cost to behaving badly. So I'm not saying like I have a perfect solution, but it's, it's just obviously skewed right now. Like who fact checks the fact checkers? Who fact checks the selection of the fact checkers? Like who fact checks just anything from the left at all. It just seems like whenever they feed us a bunch of stuff that turns out to be bullshit, it's always just, it's either just swept under the rug or memory hold, or it was, Oh, well, you know, we had good intentions and we were just, you know, just working stuff out at the time. And, but, but when it comes from the other side, it's like, it's, it's, it's evil. It's always bad. It's like, like, how could it, we can't even, we can't even let you hear this. It's so devastating. It's just obviously there's, it's obviously slanted. Like it's very badly slanted. And there, there. I, I don't know. I think I feel like there needs to be some sort of governmental intervention. Like I, I'm not into this idea that you can just build another Twitter. Twitter's a piece of crap. It's like unusable. You, if you're like a crypto or a finance guy and you have a following, every tweet you make has like nine thousand bots under it trying to scam you into sending you like Bitcoin or something. And it, it, in spite of the fact that everybody hates it, everybody's getting censored. The product is shit. It doesn't make any money. Nobody can make another Twitter because like just the network effects are so freaking powerful at this point. So I think it is an interesting question to be had of like when something is this ubiquitous, this powerful, this entrenched, and it is sort of the town square of how we communicate. Like I can definitely see a way of having government intervene in a particular way. And and I don't necessarily think that that's like you need to allow XYZ or this or that, but it could be something as simple as forcing Twitter to implement some like marketplace of filters or something like outsource the, like make Twitter completely open by default, but then you are forced to have this like app store of like, you know, algorithms or something where people can choose what they want to see or not see or who wants to be banned or not banned the content they want to be see. Right. I don't think that'll be happen. I don't think that'll happen because I think this is sort of, this is like a feature or not a bug like this, these, these platforms are sort of under the control of people on the left and politicians on the left like that. And the people who control them like that. So I don't see the incentives changing, but I, I feel like that would be a better way forward. Some sort of enforce like neutrality mechanism or marketplace mechanism to, 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 to balance this. You choose your own fact checkers. Like you, you decide. Nick, what do you think? Are there arguments as we kind of just close this, are there arguments for the system as it is today that you deem valuable where, you know, the way you position the question to me, is that how you feel when you look at something like that where you go, okay, cool. Thank you. Phew. Zelensky's still in Ukraine. Like, and if not, is there a system like the one Stephen is describing where, that you think would be more effective way to achieve the outcome? And I guess then what outcome, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, 
I don't think the fact checking nudges or shoves are as um, I don't know bad intentioned as as we think. I I, I do think they could you know thwart us in a in a way that leads us down a path that is not actually true. That's not actually reality. Like we, we could see it be used for, uh, bad purposes. We could see groupthink head us in a wrong direction. I mean, we just talked about, uh, you know, the idea of, of this kind of thought around climate change, you know, leading us into an irrational behavior. So we could certainly see that. And I, and I imagine it's done that, you know, there's been fact checking around climate change that has led people to a similar groupthink. Um, in terms of solutions, like the you know, technology is is advancing so fast that I I I think it may make this worse. I'm not sure it will make it better, and so I think it's more of like a personal evolution thing, a personal growth thing. Like you have to want to actually seek out what what is real and not and be a more active consumer of the things that you're putting you know in, in your mind rather than a passive one, as as kind of Stephen let us off with. So I, I think it's more on the the human to kind of you know, uh, filter, understand the incentives behind the, the people feeding you the news, um, and, you know, make your own decisions. Amazing. This was a really fun, uh, discussion guys felt, I feel very, always uh, is sir. Yeah, it always is. And the next one's going to be even better. Always, always more and better. Um, we're talking about is God dead in the next episode, the value of religion. Oof. in society big one fun one be good i might have to drink for that one break the sober <laughs> just kidding <laughs> at least smoke something happening. oh of course that's what i should do just show I'm up in Amsterdam. full full dmt <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> damn i should definitely get a joint for that episode i might have to do that all right cool well we will see you guys in the is, is god god is dead episode and um, yeah that. much love see you guys next time Cheers. Peace. Peace.